Jim, thank you for participating with us in this uh, worship celebration. Thank you for those of you who showed up online. For the viewer on site, thank you. We are, uh, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, looking at questions that Jesus asked his disciples, and today uh, we're going to look at uh, what uh, a key question that Jesus asked his disciples is like almost smack dab in the middle of the Gospel, uh, Mark's record of Jesus' life. Um, it's in the eighth chapter, Mark chapter eight, it's only 16 chapters, um, We've been wondering what would Jesus ask us, and we're this is the one last question we're going to be looking at. There are other questions that Jesus did. Have. I mean, there are other questions he asked, but we're we, this is the last one we're going to look at, and we're going to see how it uh, connects us with Jesus. Mark chapter eight verses uh, twenty-seven to thirty-seven. Jesus uh, is uh, doing what. Jesus did, taking a walk, and his disciples are following him. Jesus was always on the move. They kept trying to get him to settle down in one place, and he would say, nope, we've got to keep moving, we've got to go talk to the people who live over there. One of the, they didn't have the technology we have now. See, you just stay in one place. Do all kinds of stuff. And we we can, people all around the world can see what we're doing right now. Wasn't that way when Jesus was here. He had to walk. When people in Penn County didn't know what you're saying, you had to walk to Penn County to tell them. Couldn't pick up the phone. Couldn't go to the telegraph office. Now some of you might have been able to yell. Not me. Unless you listen to my mother. But anyway, that's that's another story. Jesus had to walk everywhere he went. So Jesus, verse 27, Matthew, or Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them. Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. I want to pause for a moment and remind you, John the Baptist was dead. So to, for them to say that he was John the Baptist meant that they were saying he was John the Baptist come back to life. Others say Elijah. Elijah had been dead for a really long time. And still others said, one of the prophets, who had also been dead for a very long time. So apparently the people thought Jesus was somebody special who had come back to life. Verse 29, here we go. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. 
Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that was the title he used for himself, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I just want that to sink in. Have you ever been rebuked by a fisherman? Have you ever been rebuked by a sailor? My first boss, I'm pretty sure um, I've met some sailors in my day. I'm pretty sure my first boss can make sailors blush. Uh, he rebuked us on occasion. Whole department. <laughs> so I'm just wondering exactly how this went. But Peter, professional fisherman that he was, was rebuking Jesus. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And now we know what he says. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So here's, here's trouble. We, we've already kind of indicated that. Trouble has arrived. Peter had followed Jesus for about two years at this point. He had lived with him probably 24 hours a day, seven days a week for nearly two years. He had just announced, I know you're the Messiah. And he's still focused on a human mindset. He still isn't thinking by God. He's been living with God in the flesh for almost two years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and he's still thinking like a human being. He's still got his agenda for what he thinks Jesus ought to be doing. And how Jesus ought to be living and how Jesus ought to be doing the Messiah. And here's the problem, just like Peter, you and I can be in tune with God one minute and completely out of tune a few moments later. Uh, in, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World, title in itself is a mouthful, isn't it? So, uh, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We'll just stick with that. Uh, John Mark Comer writes, what you give your attention to is the person you become. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. What you fill your mind with will shape the tra 
trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. Another way to say that is, be careful little eyes what you see. What we let into our eyes persuades our emotions and our reason. Because we have to guard what we see. Our radios, our TVs, our newspapers, our magazines, our computers, and our phones have our attention. And what has our attention shapes who we become. It shapes what we value. So we have to guard what we pay attention to. The good news is Jesus will put us in tune once again when we get out of tune. He certainly started with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. That's a shocker right there. That'll, that'll, he certainly uh, <clears throat> called Peter up short and said, you, you're not thinking like God thinks. You're still thinking like a human being. And then he called the whole called a crowd together along with his disciples <laughs> saying, this is a teaching moment. I think that's what he's thinking. Everybody needs to hear this. And he says to them in verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or their life and what can anyone give in exchange for their soul or their life so how can we how can we secure God's point of view in life I mean, this is what we need to do if we don't want to fall into the mistake that Peter fell into and that we so easily fall into how can we secure God's point of view well we need to answer Jesus question about who he is first we need to answer the question of who he is to us, and that can help us secure his point of view. But it goes beyond answering the question and then begins following him. We need to follow him. And I'm going to put it this way in our sermon in a sentence for the day. We can only see God's perspective on the road to Calvary. We can only see God's perspective on the road to Calvary. That's what it means to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, from this point on, I've begun to tell you exactly what's going to happen to me. I'm going to Jerusalem. The religious authorities are going to condemn me to death. The Gentiles are going to crucify me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. By the way, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to live the same way. 
pick up your cross and follow me. You can read and study the Bible every day. You can pray for hours. You can attend countless church meetings and still hold a merely human point of view. Knowing Jesus is your king is the only reason you will ever deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. We can only see God's perspective on the road to Calvary. So, I have a couple questions I want us to ponder for a few moments. What can you do? Each of us has to let the Holy Spirit help us determine this. What can you do to determine who Jesus is to you? Who he really is. We pop out the answer. He's the Messiah. He's the king. And then just moments later act as if he's not. So. What can we do to determine that? Take a moment or two. Maybe a way to look deeper into that is to ask what other desires compete with your desire to follow Jesus. see God's perspective on the road to Calvary. Let's pray. Jesus right here right now we give our lives to you as you gave your life for us that is so easy to say the words come easily living 
assim, pior mesmo, diz isso. You know that. That's what the garden of Gethsemane was all about. Not my will, but yours. We want to follow you and become more like you. So, expose any competing desires in the hearts. Show us how to embrace sacrifice and service. Help us to walk the road of Calvary. Amen. I invite you to continue pondering those questions. What can you do to determine who Jesus really is to you? And what desires compete with your desire to follow him? As we watch this video, this time of, <clears throat> this time of worship is over, but the work has just begun. You are sent, but you are not alone. Go with Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit.